This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta, online at AudiAugusta.com. All right, our friend Eamon Lynch covers the game for Golf Week and uh, GolfWeek.com. Always a pleasure to welcome Eamon Lynch back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, Eamon? I'm doing good, John. It's good to be with you. Thank you for doing this. There is a fair amount to unpack this morning. Let me start with the announcement last week of, of this alliance between the PGA Tour and the European Tour. I'm thinking of the fan, Eamon, that, you know, just kind of watches the European Tour on Saturday and Sunday mornings and watches the PGA Tour in the afternoon. They're not really immersed in the news. So what does all of this mean and what do you, what do you think it will mean? What it will mean down the road is uh, still quite something to be fleshed out because there ain't a lot of meat on the bone at this point in terms of details. But to me, John, it seems very much like a marriage of convenience for the PGA Tour. It's a marriage of necessity for the European Tour. But the one thing it isn't is a marriage of equals. And it was because that's evident in the fact that Jay Monaghan, the PGA Tour commissioner, gets a seat on the board of the European Tour as part of this deal, but Keith Pelley, their chief executive, does not get any access to the PGA Tours board. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting argument over nomenclature whenever this was announced. Keith Pelley was quite emphatic that it was not a merger. Well, he's right in that it's not a merger in the same that an engagement is not a marriage, but it's a pretty darn good hint of what the future intent is. Um, you know, obviously, I think they rushed the acknowledgement out or the statement out a little earlier than they had perhaps planned to. I was I was writing a story for Golf Week and I had asked the European Tour to confirm some details of it on Thursday night, on Thanksgiving night, and I was told they would have no comment and then the statement came out a few hours later on early on Friday morning. But it's to me it's a good thing. Ultimately I talked at length yesterday about it with Rory McElroy during a, an interview and he was also of the same mind that it's a, a kind of a, a huge step forward for golf in terms of everyone pulling in the same direction. What that looks like in reality, I think we're probably still some weeks and months away from finding that out. Well, you know, everyone's going to speculate that we're down, we're heading down the road for a for a singular world tour. D- mm-hmm. Ten years? I mean, do you see this being the end game of all of this? I do. I think we're moving closer to. I guess tennis has the model of the ATP World Tour, where it's one umbrella and multiple tournaments being played around the world on different tiers every week. Um, But I I think we're a very long way away from that. What I would see shorter term is a kind of a marrying of schedules. And I don't think we'll see anything until at least 2022, because obviously we're already into the, the 21 season, technically, at this point. But what I... It's going to happen, and I talked to five different people last week who were close to the negotiations on this, that we'll see some premier European Tour events get FedEx Cup points. And Mm. that could be starting the year in the Middle East, events like Dubai and Abu Dhabi, which tend to draw some of the bigger names in golf anyway. Then perhaps the Scottish and Irish Opens around the Open Championship as a kind of a summer link mini-season. And then the only real area in the schedule that the PGA Tour has to work with is that period from the end of the FedEx Cup on by, by Labor Day uh, through to, say, early November, mid-November, when the, there's some decent weather elsewhere around the world to, to play. That's why they have this kind of lucrative Asian swing at this stage. So I could see those windows involving uh, tournaments getting FedEx 
couple points in an attempt to draw more guys off the PGA Tour to play with them. I also think what we'll see is a pipeline being created for European Tour journeymen, essentially, to play their way onto the PGA Tour. The big names have always had that access. You know, they, they get into those limited field events and suddenly their status is secured. But the journeymen of the European Tour would like a pipeline onto a more lucrative PGA Tour because it would be hard to win support among that constituency in the European Tour for this deal if there was not that possibility. Do you think we'd be here, Eamon, without the this premier golf league and or the pandemic? Um, I think eventually we would have because no matter what Keith Pelley says, the European Tour has been running on fumes financially. That's been true for a long time. And Keith made a rather bizarre statement last week in the aftermath of this announcement where he said the balance sheet of the European Tour was perhaps as robust as it's ever been. Now, he might be the only organisation on the planet who would make that claim Hmm. in the midst of a pandemic. And this is a man whose schedule of tournaments was absolutely demolished, much, much worse than the PGA Tour suffered. So I think there was always likely to be some kind of merger, uh, I don't necessarily use the word takeover, but an unequal merger uh, down the road at some point. But I think it was certainly hastened by the combination of the pandemic and then this premier golf league being fronted by the Rain Group, the private equity firm out of New York, uh, because that is an existential threat to the PGA Tour if there's a prospect of the biggest name players being drawn away to compete in these events around the world. But as it is now, the PGA Tour has kind of headed off that threat for now. We've had, if you remember back to the Players' Championship, John, in the space of a few days, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm and Brooks Kepka, who were at the time the number one, two and three ranked players in the world, all said they weren't interested in PGL. Now, that's obviously a position that could change if everyone else is going to go play it. But right now, the PGL still exists only in theory. They don't have a platform for their product and it's not particularly clear where they would find a platform. So it seems like a victory for the tour in that sense of heading that off. We're talking with Eamon Lynch here on the Augusta Golf Show. Would the uh, financial financial unsustainability of the European Tour, or at least the, 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 the troubles that they're having, would that, would that concern the PGA Tour if it came to a world tour? I don't think so, because you're really, it's not as though you're taking a lot in the way of their assets. The, the PGA Tour has plenty of assets of its own, and it's about to become a lot more flush with cash with a new TV deal, which kicks in at the start of 22 and it was interesting that their investment that was announced last week was in European tour productions Mm -hmm. which is what creates all the content for the European tour that is who creates the content that then appears on golf channel on weekend mornings from the European tour so there's they have their own kind of media rights deal as well and like every merger of organizations we see it in, in every business there are always what they like to call efficiencies of scale which usually means people being tossed out of jobs and uh, cast aside. And I think you'll see quite a bit of that as well. You saw the European Tour had quite a few layoffs earlier this year, somewhere close to 70 people. And it's a much smaller scale operation. Anyway, so it's not as though they're going to assume a great deal of debt. And I think between efficiencies and their own kind of gargantuan strength financially, I I don't think it's a particularly onerous undertaking for the PGA Tour. You mentioned talking to Rory earlier this week. 
um, and you asked him to to grade his year and how well did he how well did he think he did? Do you, Eamon, do you think he wins a Masters? I do, um, and it's not necessarily because it's this kind of lazy argument of sentimentality that you know he's too good not to. Because a lot of guys were too good not to win a Masters, like you know Ernie Els and Johnny Miller and Tom Weiskopf and Lee Trevino, but none of them ever did. And in Rory's case, you know he puts himself in there in the mix all the time, and he his attitude, I think, seems to be getting a little bit more balanced about it all. I mean, he talked about leaving the Masters this year, kind of celebrating a small victory, which in his mind was, yeah, he got off to a lousy start in the 75 and kind of shot himself out of it. But he then put together three solid rounds in the 60s and finished fifth. He started working and told me that he watched DJ and they played together Thursday and Friday. And the kind of shots DJ was hitting that allowed him to take that golf course apart the kind of shots that Rory was struggling with. So now he knows exactly what he's working on on that. So he's always trying to put together a different piece of the puzzle as it comes there. And, you know, he's he's 31 years old. It's, it's odd in the sense that he, he's probably played, what, 10 of these things at this point, but he's probably got another 10 or 20 to go. So he's he's certainly going to have his opportunities. It's just a matter of how much pressure he puts on himself, and I think he's trying to get a handle on that as much as he is in terms of the physical golf shots that he needs to hit to get there. Uh, but this pressure isn't going away anywhere because every year he turns up there, as we know, it, here's your chance to complete the career Grand Slam. Are you going to do it? Um, he's got to figure out the, the way to kind of diffuse that pressure and just let his golf swing do the work for him. Um, before I let you go, for you, uh, this was a strange year for everybody. But for mm-hmm. you, what was the best? What was the best golf moment in 2020, Eamon? Oof, that's a that's really an interesting one. I I think uh, you know you'd have to argue in some ways it was maybe just the fact that another golf shot was hit when we came back at the the Charles Schwab Challenge in June because. For several months at that point, it really looked as though this was going to be a season of loss. And it's to the credit of guys like Jay Monahan and Keith Pelley and, and other tours around the world that actually got us to the point where we have enjoyed a fairly robust golf season with a lot of great storylines. But whoever hit that first tee shot back on the PGA Tour in in June, I don't know who it was, at, at the Charles Schwab Challenge, to me that was probably the most important shot hit of the year because it kind of signals that with appropriate protocols in place and a good attitude and observant attitude from the players that we can actually sustain the PGA Tour and professional golf at a global level because we look around us at every other sport, John, and the fans there are suffering through a famine at the moment. And yet, you know, we've had DJ win a Masters, we've had Bryson win the US Open, Colin Morikawa win a PGA. We, we're kind of you know, it's a feast by comparison compared to what other sports fans have. And to me, that's, that's a tribute to a lot of people who managed to save a year that looked irredeemably lost. Eamon, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you for saying yes when I ask. Um, happy holidays, my friend. Always a pleasure, John. Enjoy your holiday.